Good morning. morning. Still morning, right? So I'll start off similar. Uh, I feel stereotyped a little bit. I don't know if you noticed the background music that Icky chose for me. (laughs) Everybody knew it. I mean, everybody was quiet. It seems like that quiet stuff that y'all noticed. Like, why did he use Bob Marley to introduce Pierre? He didn't do that last time for Charles. We'll, me and Icky will talk about this, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about his choice. But since he got the most obvious out the way, I'm black. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just, surprise. Um, but I'm excited to be here as Living Word Fellowship Church and Bayou City Fellowship have decided to pulpit swap. Um, this is a blessing. They have charged me with doing Acts chapter 2. We will do that towards the end of the chapter, but we will do something different. We will take Acts chapter 2, verse 46, you can turn there, and we will combine and contrast it with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so you can have your finger in both because you will see a compare and contrast, and I pray that you will stick with me. They have charged me with 35 minutes. Now, I'm from... No. We got it out the way. I'm black. Okay, so let's just get out. I am going to do my best and you can charge me with that, that you will be Lord willing on time and duly on time. But I will do my best to compare and contrast. But not only that, when we finish comparing and contrasting, what I want us to do is compare and contrast, not just with those two churches, but with our churches our universal church. So I pray that your hearts are open to receive the word of God, no matter where it lands, that our hearts will not be closed off or not be stoned or not be, a, not be the roadway where it just gets brushed to the side and picked up. I pray that your hearts are ready for the seed, not Pierre Kennings, to be planted into your hearts today because this is exactly God's scripture, which is powerful all by itself. But I also want to say, I, I, I don't believe y'all stereotype. They said second service was going to be chill and relaxed but y'all look lively. You have your coffee, which was a beautiful blend of pecan. Y'all they smelled it in. Okay, so I already know that y'all are up, so I don't have to work too hard. Y'all are ready to go to receive God's word again, not Pierre Kennings. Are y'all ready? Yeah. I go fast. He played Caribbean music. My parents are both from Guyana. You're going to get this fast word. All right? Don't be alarmed. He stereotyped me. Now it's his fault. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to dive into your word. God, we, um, we come before you graciously at your throne because your word, I, I would dare not ask for it to be blessed because just the reading of it is blessed in itself. That it, it doesn't take a preacher to deliver your conviction. It only takes what you have inspired in the word of God. So I do pray that everyone's hearts are soft and ready to be split like a double-edged sword as bone and marrow because we just want you to speak to us. The grace in itself, though, is that despite the week we've had or what we've done, your grace allows us and you still want to talk to us. Despite what this world has done to us and done to the church, you are still saying, I want to speak and rectify what we have often contorted. So, God, I am excited about being here with my church or your church, excuse me, and to be a part of the universal body that doesn't matter what demographic we come from, we all come from your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, dying and raising for our sins. So we can all be unified around that purpose today. And I I pray that we are. I love you and I thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, God inspires certain things 
Because when I was at first service, I had to look around, but God has been good today. Uh, He already got out the way. I already stated that I am African-American or Caribbean-American, whatever you want to call it. That's out the way, but I want to give you another shocker. I'm bald, okay? This is not a toupee. This is what I am. And I usually look around. I look for the bald and bearded and beautiful, but God already allowed me and inspired that they're sitting right in front of me and to my right. So I'm excited about that because at first service, I had to look around and find two or three gentlemen, but they're a part of my gang now. We just made it in. I'm from the inner city. We're called the Triple Bs, bald, bearded, and beautiful, okay? And I want to educate you really quick about the Triple Bs, what it takes to be this way. This is is grooming, ladies and gentlemen. It it seems easy. For y'all that have hair and have options, y'all are blessed. You can do some... Oh, sorry, you're also into... You... you, you have, you have options, right? You can say, you know what? I want to go to the, this hairstylist, and y'all even have stylists, African American. Hey, hey, brother. Um, y'all also have, y'all have tr- options, supercuts, stuff like that. Go in there, give me a one on the sides. No, no, no. We only have zero all the way around. That's what God has granted us with, okay? But it migrated. It went from the top, and now we have luscious beards, right? And but it takes work. It takes for us to shave it off every night. We have to make sure that it's, it's, it's shimmery because when you preach, this, the light hits you and you have to make sure it reflects God's goodness right back to the crowd. Okay? And as we do this reflection of obviously God's light and darkness, and for those who have hair, y'all are the darkness, but <laughs> it's a little bitterness here, guys, a little bitterness. I didn't want it to go. But as we shave every night thinking about God's goodness, it, you get it to the bare bones. Y'all are covering up what God has given you. We let it expose and we allow it to be exposed to the world because we want to show God's goodness with our heads. But what I often say is that for those, when you get to the bear, you get to rub it. Now, I don't know if those who are bald and bearded and beautiful are married, but sometimes your wife will just do this and she'll rub her hands on your smooth head. Cue ball everywhere, right? And we are excited about that because it's the bear. It's, It's back to the original form. Everybody else is covered, but we have the original. And when you get to the original, you get to see what it's supposed to be like. It's not until you put a filter on your camera on your phones and you'll see what you're supposed to look like with no hair. But we get it. And the church that I wanted to expose you to was balded, bearded, and beautiful. They, they had nothing covering it up. There was no ingrowns. There was no exposure. It was just what it was supposed to be. But over time, hair covered up the original. Over time, when you get to 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that there was an original cover-up, that it was supposed to be a certain way, that we were supposed to look glorified, but then in 1 Corinthians, there was divisions and factions. There was things that happened that you got to, got to change and mold it. You got to put a number one on top. You got to go style it a different way. So now when we look at the American church, guess what? American stylists have come up and they have decided to give us a different hairstyle ideologies and politics have created a different hairstyle. We have parted it one way and parted it the other, but I'm here today to shave your head. My prayer for you is that you will be excited about this shave because I know some of y'all love your hair, but today we need to see the original cue ball shape. So I pray that you will turn to Acts chapter 2 and be able to figure out, is Bayou City and the universal church a reflection of what God has intended for us? And I'm going to do it, Lord willing, in a way that will, not, will be edifying, but also convicting, because that's what the word of God is. And Acts chapter 2, verse 46, is right after Pentecost, and this is the first in-gathering that we have. I know I'm going straight to 46, because for the sake of time, we need a cross-reference, and you'll see how we connect these dots in a second. It said, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Day by day. Now, this is the first thing I want you to garner for one second. 
Look how many days they spent together. I know you're like, well, Pierre, that's no news breaking. You didn't do any Greek or Hebrew translation to get to that point. You're right. I did not. But they wanted so much time to continue to reflect and be together in the temple. And that's crazy because some of us will struggle, including myself, to do it once a week. But the church was so excited about the gospel, so excited about Jesus' resurrection, so excited about Peter's sermon at Pentecost that they continued in their day-to-day interactions at the temple. But not only was it day-to-day, he confuses us and confounds us by saying, guess what it was? With one mind. Oh, this is the trickiest part of this sermon because how in the world would different personalities, different demographics, different upbringings, different ethnicities, how could they be of one mind? But what does one mind even mean? One mind that had one purpose and one impulse. That means their heart beat for the same thing. That no matter where they came from, because if you look at the diversity of Pentecost, and I'm sorry to put this on you, this is my dissertation, but if you look at just the diversity of Pentecost, one of the reasons for the tongue was because they were all speaking different languages because there was a diaspora, and the diaspora caused them to what? Come from where they were scattered because of the persecution. So because they were scattered, they had different ethnicities, backgrounds, or they had different ways of coming to Pentecost to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And when they came to the Feast of Weeks, there was a necessity. So how in the world could people from all different walks of life have one mind? So then I ask you the same question. How in the world could Bayou City, when I look across this crowd, y'all all come from different ethnicities, backgrounds, support, or whatever may be in your life, and how can y'all have one mind? Our second question is, do you? The first thing you'll find out about one mind, how could you be unified? How could you be together? How could you have one impulse? Because the only impulse we should have is who? Jesus. That they were so excited about Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascending. They were so excited about the gospel, which they just received, that that's all that mattered. But look at the modern day church and tell me that's all that matters today. That we have been separated by ideologies and politics. We have been separated by what you wear and where you come from. We have been separated by which channel you watch. We have been separated by who's your favorite anchor. We have been separated by where you get your information from. But how in the world could we allow the world to dictate our one mind? How in the world have we allowed the distractions to take away from the impulse that we would all should have for the original bald-headedness of the church? But that's what happens when we lose sight of where God intended. That's what happens when we lose excitement for the gospel. That's what happens when we we start forgetting the beauty of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. And church becomes more about a personality than the person that the person is supposed to be edifying. That we have lost sight that Bayou City becomes its own identity. Living Word becomes its own identity. Personalities become the take order. Ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. I'll never be Ikki Soma. The man of many illustrations. The man who can uh, parse the scripture differently. He is a master preacher and everybody should love Pastor Ikki Soma. But I will never be him because God has never intended that to be so. So how in the world could Ikki and Pierre be the same? Because we love the same God. So you have to ask, why could the church be divided? Because I think we lost our first love. And I pray that when I leave this, even if I never, even if you hate me after this sermon, you will never lose the love because it was never about me in the first place. And it says they had one mind and then they go to the temple. Now, I'll be quick with this one. The temple is different than the church. So let's don't get it confused. The temple was where the Jews worship on a day to day basis. There was where offering took place. But not your money. They had an offering, a sacrificial offering that happened there. And that was a day to day occurrence. But also, if you do the historical background, guess what? 
It is where people in crowds gathered because if you went to the temple, that is where the witness took place. Because people were like, well, everybody's there. So since everybody's there, the crowds begin to look in and see how could everybody be in one place and all get along? But then you have to wonder if the crowds gather on Sunday, why would Martin Luther King say this is the most segregated time of the week? So when they come here and they say what? The crowds are here, but not one mind. Oh, this is supposed to be the witness of Jesus Christ, but they all look divided to me. That one universal church, one local church is over here and one local church is over here. That's why this pulpit swap existed, because we wanted to take two churches from two different backgrounds and say, no, we're still one body. So even though I may preach a little faster, even though I, I wore my suit when I realized that I could have really dressed casual. <laughs> Who knew? Should have watched film. That the witness is here. That people, when they see the church, do they see the witness of who God is? But here's the beauty of the word witness is that collect, they were all independently but collectively worshiping. Hear me out. There cannot be a witness of individuals don't come to a collective worship. So therefore, if your worship has been off all week, your division will be caused because you're not worshiping when you come here. Worship is a day-to-day -day basis. So even if we don't collectively worship on a day-to-day -day basis, your, collect, your individual worship every day should be reflected when you come into this church. The problem, though, is that church has now been, I don't know, designed and made to bring you to worship when you're supposed to bring yourself here already. That, that, that band members and preachers are now called and tasked with making sure that they preach their best sermon every Sunday so that you are invigorated to grow. But if you individually have a relationship or an excited about when you finally come to the place of worship, it just doesn't take a motivation or inspiration to get you here. Even if you never hit your knees physically in this church, you've been hitting your knees weekly or daily. So you come here with your knees already bent. But that wasn't the whole point, because then they said something that should throw us all off. It says day by day, continue with one mind in the temple and breaking bread. So this wasn't necessarily them having communion yet. This was a feast. So if you say the temple was a part of the witness, then you say the house to house, the breaking of the bread was the fellowship. Oh, this is where I think many churches will struggle. Excuse me. And I hope this is OK. But it says breaking bread from house to house. So look how much they wanted to be around each other. That even though they saw each other at the temple, they still wanted to go what? To each other's houses. And when they went to each other's houses, they were willing to break bread together. I, I question our genuine desire to be around each other outside of the Sunday congregation. I question if we're that excited to be around each other or you're coming to get your weekly fill. Is your attendance more than your fellowship? Is your checklist done? And I am guilty of treating church like a checklist. I come, I leave, I do my holy hellos, and I get out. Some of us know exactly where to sit to not to be talked to, especially the people that are a little quieter. They know how to escape in, in, in tight circumstances. And the extroverts who are tired from a week of talking to people, we are so ready not to talk. And then we do something that many of us are guilty of. We have fake conversations when it's supposed to be sincere fellowship. But we'll get to that in a second. Day by day, they were breaking bread. But they went from house to house. 
But you know what that requires? That requires your house to be open. You know, sometimes we call our house our sanctuaries, but it's a selfish sanctuary. Right? It's where I get to relax. It's where I get to drink my coffee. It's where I get a, a place where it's I can go to my garage, where I can work out, where I can do. And God's like, no, no, no. I created the house so that everybody can be here. You ever thought that maybe God blessed you with what you have so somebody else can join into your blessing? You ever thought the reason why you were blessed financially or maybe not even the fact that you have finances, but you have this talent, this skill to cook or to be hospitable. Maybe that wasn't just for people at your job so everybody can like you. Maybe it wasn't your people pleasing that God wanted. Maybe it was the fact that he built you this way so people would go from house to house and you would be one of them. So it goes house by house. They were breaking bread. They were sharing nourishment. So we have the witness and now we have the fellowship. But then he describes the fellowship. Are you ready for these two words? It says this with gladness. So and taking their meals, everybody was contributing. Bear with me together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were excited. There was an inner rejoicing for the outward fellowship. That the fact that I can spend time with you, I rejoice internally because I get to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I get to do that continually. So when I got to preach and I get to sit here and see people worship, there was an inner rejoicing because it doesn't matter if I came from Living Word Fellowship Church on the northwest side of Acres Home. It doesn't matter where I came from. I get to rejoice and celebrate with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I ask you, I'm a guest preacher. Y'all get to see each other every week. Do you have the same inner rejoicing to see each other? Or is there conflict that has separated you? Is there personal relationships that are fractured? Are there people that you just don't like and we all know that that happens? So when you see them, we all know how to do it. Everybody ready? It's simple. I've been in African-American church my whole life. We can give you three solid answers and never say a word. How are you? Blessed. Oh, to God be the glory. How was your week? Fulfilled through Christ. What does that even mean? I don't know. I just put three words together. We don't have to talk. Especially if you close your hand. This means I don't want to talk to you. You're far away. We're far away. We do this. Mm. I don't know what we're grabbing, but we're grabbing something. mm. Somehow you shake it. That means I guess you got the same spirit. I don't know. But we've all done it. That's why you think Matthew 18, 15. Have you ever read that scripture? That is the one of the first introductions to the word ecclesia from Jesus, where he says he knew there would be future conflicts, so he taught you how to solve it before the church even existed. He knew it would be hard to be one mind because everybody has a different personality. So therefore, he already taught you. You need to go to your brother. You need to solve the issue so you can have the same rejoicing when you see each other. But, you know, church is also not good at the second word, which says sincerity of heart. Sincerity means genuine. Hear me out. There was no fakeness to this fellowship. And this is where I think the church has struggled. Is that we can, we can get by with 15 minutes in the foyer, especially when you have great coffee. You can stir together, even talk about the football game. You can talk about the fact that some of y'all are Cowboys fans. Talk about some of y'all are Texans fans. And then y'all can, you know... Realize that both teams are bad, and then y'all can keep moving. (laughs) Even saying football, isn't that weird that we can gather around a sport but won't gather around Jesus? That we can fill the stadium. You can be an Aggies fan, and there will be different chants that you do, but when we come to church, we're silent. 
We can go to a UT game and we can have horns up or whatever. And then you can, I went to Austin College. Where were the kangaroos? Don't quote me. I mean, who names their mascot kangaroos and then tells me to march onto a football field like I'm fearless? No, you name me a kangaroo. I can't be fearless. Like, we want me to hop? Anyways, there's still bitterness there. You can look it up. We're really called the kangaroos. It's so, so bad. But it's crazy, right, that there can be sincerity over your alma mater, but not sincerity over the person who saved you. Ah. They had the ability to have openness and joy in the presence of doing life together. Wouldn't you rather somebody who has the same desire for God to be in your house than some random stranger who has no desire to see you get closer to Christ? Wouldn't you want couples to do couple life together? Wouldn't you want singles to do life together? Wouldn't you want Titus 2 to happen together? Where older women disciple younger women and older men disciple younger men, where they teach them how to be husbands or singles or wives or whatever they need to be taught, that that church should still exist. But it's disappearing that we have age diversity with no age fellowship. We have age-leveled our ministries out to a death where only one person's responsible for youth when it should be a father to the fatherless is going over there to talk to the person who has no father. Uh, I'll get off of that. You know, that's not you. That's, that's living word. Sincerity of heart. And it says they were having meals together. This meal, this meal is different. You see how you separated the two? Well, breaking bread is over here and then meals are over here. It was, it was a love feast is what they used to call it. And we'll get back to that. That's how you connect the first Corinthians chapter 11. That this love feast is where we all sat down around the table and we ate, but also included the Lord's Supper. So the tricky part is that they would do it, have a meal and the Lord's Supper would be included. But how can you? They had a genuine desire to do what the Lord's, Lord's Supper is supposed to remind you of. They're like, hey, the Lord's Supper reminds us all that we are forgiven and we get to eat together. So this this this. This association, this communion, this fellowship, it was a resemblance of their close relationship. So if you look to your right and to your left, what you don't have to do, isn't it sad that churches have grown so large, not that there's nothing wrong with a large church, that you can go to church and not know anybody. But this should be the closest place of your week. This should be the place of, I mean, hours in the foyer where people, you have to ask you to leave, do the holy flip light off switch warning. Oh, thank you. And then after that, like, hey, do you want to go to get dinner together? Hey, you want to go break bread together? Hey, let's go to dinner. I mean, we're in, you're in Spring Branch. I'm pretty sure there's fancy restaurants around here. Acres Home is only McDonald's. Y'all have choices. <laughs> but then on top of that feast, they would pray together. They would fellowship together. They would have mutual meals together, but they would have a prayer life together. All that was in one meal. Like, uh, y'all are, I guess y'all are not going to be able to do anything because first service, I guess it's really holy. But before y'all got here, there were prayer requests from the 10-year anniversary that I got a chance to see the beauty of God's faithfulness to Bayou City. They all picked them off because it was a really holy service. But you got a chance to pray together and pray for people you don't even know. But what if you knew their prayer requests already? What if you did such life together that you knew the brother sitting next to you was struggling in their marriage? What better place to know that somebody genuinely wants to see your marriage succeed and prays for you daily? That hits their knees for you on a daily basis. That you don't, that you're not getting this random advice over drinks, that you're getting somebody who says, I want to see your singleness succeed. 
instead of random hookups and apps. So you're wondering, you have to be wondering by now, what's the difference? The difference is that over time, a bald head grows hair. And when it grows hair, you can take your head out. Everybody's guilty of this, so it's not just bald-headed men. I'll include everybody in this illustration. Are you ready? Ladies included. There are moments when if you haven't shaved in a while, what do you do? You test it with your hand. And when you test it with your hand, what do you do? You usually go like this, but if you're desperate to see how close of a shave you got, what do you do? You run it upside down. And you run it against the grain is what we call it. Now, if you run it against the grain, it should prick your finger because hair has grown. Today, I want to prick your finger because the church has grown hairs. Today, you should feel it if you run your hair and say, Pierre, do I fellowship right? Pierre, is my, am I sincere in my fellowship? Pierre, do I devote myself to the apostles' teaching? Pierre, is my, do I go house to house? Or is this a singular individual moment for me, even though we're collectively worshiping? So can I prick your fingers for a second? Because watch the church that comes right after this church in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there with me. Because you would think it would be centuries past, but this is years later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it reads beautifully. And this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. So let's prick each other's fingers. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Because you come, watch these words, Together, that means, what's the same word? You assemble again, but not for the better, but for the worse. Oh, you still have the same function, but you still don't have the same purpose. You still have the same congregation, but you don't have the same purpose. And you know how he knew they didn't have the same purpose? It's because what follows in the next couple verses, you will realize the contrast that is necessary because the same words are used. Watch this. You come together for in the first place. When you come together as a church. Oh, I love this word choice. You see it? Not in a church. As a church. You were supposed to look he wasn't worried about the external. He was worried about the purpose of the internal. So he says, you don't come together in a church. You're supposed to come together as the church because the church can be wherever you gather. So he wasn't worried about where you were in. He was worried about what you're supposed to represent. So when you say as a church, that means when two or more are gathered, you are functioning as a church. So he said, hey, as a church, you were supposed to look one way, but then we have this problem. That this internal struggle, this internal gathering is full of division. I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now you're like, well, Pierre, why do you say in part? That's a great question. Because he wasn't, he wasn't there to experience those divisions. He heard about it. But if you know anything about the church of Corinth, Paul heard about a lot of foolishness that was happening there. I want you to study the church of Corinth. Just read the letters. You'd be like, Man, there was some lot of drama. It was like watching like the real housewives of Atlanta. I mean, <laughs> hip, you know, NBA wives. I was like, just this chatterness. There was gossip. There was slander. There was somebody sleeping with somebody else they weren't supposed to sleep with. And we don't need to go into detail. There was a lot happening. But if you talk about division, what was happening in chapter one, guess what they were divided over? What disciple were you from? I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. 
That was the first. So he says, in part, I believe it because I already know in chapter one, I had, I had to correct you in your division over your favoritism of the person who brought you into the faith. It doesn't matter. But guess what America has done for us in the first division that we have? We divide over our favorite. We divide over people and personalities. We have argued over what pastor should be hired and what person should be in what leadership position. We go to our favorite YouTube. If the servant wasn't your favorite from this Sunday, you go to YouTube to find your favorite preacher so he can give you your favorite sermon. And God is like, it has nothing to do with who brought you here. It's the fact that who grows while you're here. It has nothing to do with your favorite personality because all over the Bible, God used different personalities to write his scripture. So therefore, he's not concerned with your favorite personality. He's concerned with the fact that you're reading his word and you're growing in it because God is the only one who can cause your growth. That should be the unifying force. It didn't matter where it came from. It matters what you're doing with it. So it doesn't matter if it came from Icky or Pierre. It just came. But that was the first division. But this division was a little bit more sociological. And I'll prove that to you. Because he changes the word. He goes from splits, which was more big, and then he, he does some math on you for a second. He, he decides to say, division is a big split. Then you got factions. See, the word goes from split to now groups of parties and school of thought. So don't tell me in the world we live in today that we are not guilty of factions. And we are, look, I don't want to offend anybody today. But when you look at our church, do you not see parties and schools of God? Do you not see people that are split up into factions over sociological, ideological differences? Do you see people not being able to get over or have idealized are made gods of their own school of thought. So now your school of thought becomes your God rather than God becoming your God. So now what you say is right. You know what that really shows? Is that the church hasn't learned to get over their idol. Hear me out. Now I'll explain and I hope this makes sense. If you can't get over who somebody voted for, that means the voting process is your God. Hear me out. If we can't get over the ideological differences that exist, then that means we've lost the same purpose and the same mind. Because the church should be able to be different. God never wanted you to be the same. You can't be a universal church in the same. You can't, you can't come from different backgrounds and be the same. It wasn't about you becoming the same person. It was about you believing in the same thing. And because you believe in the same thing, it doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter what school of thought you come from. It doesn't matter where you, what your background is from. What matters is you love Jesus Christ more than you love the party. You love Jesus Christ more than you love the person. And I mean the person you voted for. And don't get me twisted. I'm not, I don't care either way. Can we talk about this real quick? The church is the saving force of our world. It, that's, that's, that's our job. Our job, when you sit in these pews, is for people to see us. I don't care about your bumper sticker. I want to know if you represent Jesus despite your bumper sticker. I want to know if you, when people see us, are we the people that do something about the sin we care so much about? Don't just vote about it. Be about it. 
So therefore, we have these factions inside of our own bodies. And now Living Word is trying to combine with Bayou City because we don't want to do that anymore. That we want y'all to be a part of our family. And I hope that you will accept us as being a part of your family. Yeah, we have different backgrounds. Yes, we may be different. Differences are only God's uniqueness to his glory. That's all it is, is that God made you unique and he said you still can give me glory. You can come from poverty and you can still give him glory. You can come from much and you can still give him glory. You can come from a different speaking background where your mom and dad spoke Spanish like my wife. You can come from something totally different. And God's like, I still get glory because I'm a God of diversity. The problem is when your diversity becomes your God. And your group becomes your idealization. My prayer is when you read this next part of the verse, you realize that this was a real thing. Because the same thing happens. I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who approved may become evident among you. There was favoritism. And I'm going to explain this to you in an archaeological sense. Therefore, when you meet together... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper because they were gathering together and having meals. I told you the meal thing would pop back up. So their fellowship, which was once what? Unified, loving. And I'll prove that to you when we get back to Acts 2 at the end of the sermon. And I'm getting there quickly. Bear with me. I, 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 I checked my time. <laughs> but that meal that once was so united is now divided. And watch the archaeological structure and support for this. That in a home, when they were going house to house, the home had a vestibule, or I'm going to use the word gathering room, living room in our circumstance. But because of their archaeological structures, it only could fit nine, ten at tops. So guess where the ten, guess who the ten were? The rich. They were the ones who brought what? The most food. And since they brought the most food, they sat them at the good table and everybody else had to gather in hallways and other rooms. So right there, he's saying, hey, you had a difference in Paulus and Paul, but now you have a difference in your social class. Now you're treating people different on what they were able to bring to the table. But it's crazy to me that you would want God, you want everybody to have a seat at the table. You want everybody to be able to see no matter if they're poor, rich or have middle class, they're supposed to be able to sit at the table. Can I admit something to you so you can, I can get off of y'all and I focus on myself? Sometimes I wonder why I got my PhD. I, I do. I think there was some selfishness to it. I'm too late now. The bills are piling up. I have to finish. <laughs> the transparency came late. But I wonder, was it because I wanted to sit at the table? Did I want people to believe me when I preached, even though God's word was the only reason you're supposed to believe me? Amen. Did I want to sit at the table where people believe I was educated enough to be present? But not just ed educated enough to be present, I was educated enough to speak at the table when I wasn't disregarded based on the color of my skin. I wonder if I only got it to prove it to people and I didn't do it for the edification of God's glory. So you can put Dallas Baptist University behind my name, but I wonder if the Baptist is even worthy being there because I, sometimes I think I got it for myself. I'm just being honest. Just, nobody should have to fight to be at the table. No degree puts somebody at a table. You want the diversity at the table. That's where Acts 2 Houston came from. That everybody gets a seat at the table. And everybody gets to speak on their needs. How do you know somebody's needs if they never get to sit and hear, you get to hear them talk? 
So the second question you should be asking is, is your house open? You might say, yeah, Pierre, it is. Is it open to the right people? Or is it only open to your friends that come from the same background, the same thoughts, and the same patterns? Do you sit at table with people that only look like you, walk like you, talk like you? Sometimes we don't know needs because we never sit with people who have them. So let me get off that because that's not true here. Bayou City, that's only at Living Word. That the wealthier members of the church, they, they had the most food. But then it got worse. You think it got better? Therefore, when you meet together, it is not indeed the Lord's Supper. For in eating, which one takes his own supper first? One is hungry. Now, how did we go from what? We'll get back. How did we go from selling your possessions so everybody could eat to now eating first and leaving people hungry? Think of the shift that I used to care more about the needs of others. Now I only care about satisfying myself. And now church has gotten guilty of that. Pierre Kennings has gotten guilty of that. What can I get from the church, not what I can give? Now hear me out. When you walk into the sanctuary, you say, hey, what should I give of what God has given me? And I'm not talking about your money. This is not an offering sermon. That would be the worst guest speaker in the world. <laughs> I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your time, your love, your service. Don't walk into Bayou City saying, what can it give to me this Sunday? Walk in saying, what can I give away? And when everybody gives away something, everybody's needs are met. It's just like marriage. If you walk into a marriage saying what she's going to give to me or what he's going to give to me, you failed already. But if you walk in saying, how can I love my wife today? And she walks in saying, how can I love my husband today? No matter our differences, everybody's needs are met. Only when a selfish church exists when people sit at the table. Only those who are like you and have the same class do we fail. I wish we can get back to our bald-headedness. But let me read these scriptures as I close. Watch this and go back to Acts 2 with me. Verse 43, 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. But watch this word as anyone might have needs. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. You ever catch that last word? It wasn't favor with their people. It was favor with all people. So when God looks at Bayou City and Living Word Fellowship Church, are we having favor not just with our people? Do we have favor with all people? The people that are different than you, walk different than you, do you have favor with them? And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being, watch these words, saved. So if we get back to the purpose of the church of wanting to bring salvation to those who don't know who God is, we're getting confused and entangled with things that don't matter. If our mission is just to bring people to Christ, then it takes away all of our differences because we only have one thing in mind, and that is to bring people into his grace through his death and through his resurrection. And then you will find favor with all people, not because Iki Soma is an amazing preacher, not because Bayou City is a loving church, which I believe, not because y'all are amazing people, which I believe. It's not that. 
It's you do the scriptures above and God saying, I want to add to a healthy church because they're doing what church was created to do. Now, I promise you I would be on time. So let's get back to our bald headedness. There's a problem when you are bald or when you let your hair grow. Is that you start to itch a little bit. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Just baby me. I do bathe. Don't worry. But you start to itch. And when you itch, it's because the hair that was underneath the scalp creates an ingrown process. And if you don't take care of the ingrowns, then the bump will come from the inside and you'll start seeing it on the outside. The only way to mediate the ingrown, don't quote me because I'm not a doctor. For me, see, before y'all start judging me, for me is to make sure I use my alcohol in my cleansing process again, and then I have to shave so I can open up my scalp. But when I do, I need to immediately apply alcohol, which has a little sting to it. But it's okay that only lasts seconds, but if I let it happen, the ingrown will go away. Today, all I'm saying is that some of our churches, some of our people, some of our things inside of our churches are starting to itch. Because what was supposed to be on the outside is now stuck and can't come out. That the people that were supposed to go outside of the walls of the church are stuck in the skin of ideology, stuck in the skin of politics, stuck in the skin of differences. But if you just go back to the original church and start shaving your head, but you immediately allow the splash, today, ladies and gentlemen, was your splash. It may sting to hear that we're not what God intended. It may sting to know that God wants us to be more than just pew sitters and attendance givers. We're, we are supposed to be more than what we have intended, but my God said, hey, let me give you some alcohol because guess what? I will take what was in and what was itching and I will make it brand new again. So my God is a God of grace and he wants to see Bayou City not just achieve what y'all already have, which is a loving, amazing church. He wants y'all to see favor so that people will continue to be added, but not just added in number because of the band and the preacher, added so they can hear the gospel of who Jesus is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church, not mine, not Bayou Cities, your church. You built it. You created it, but you created it for its purpose. You created it to achieve what you designed it to be. And that was to give you glory and bring people unto yourself. But if a church fails and we become more like the Corinth church than the Acts church, then you have to be disappointed because we're gathering for the worse. I do pray that today we will gather for the best of others. That we will be, there will be no social class or ethnic divide. That there will be no ideological divide. There will be no po political divide. That we will go back to having all things in common with the same mind. That we'll have sincere relationships that are intimate, genuine, caring and praying and fellowshipping. That the body of Christ will be more united than it's ever been. So God, we want to say thank you for your word, not mine. Thank you for the truth of who you are. And I pray that you were glorified by your word. I already know you are if I did it well. So God, we love you. We thank you today. We thank you for Bayou City and the combination of Living Word Fellowship Church. I pray for Icky as he continues to deliver the word over there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.